Welcome to our first episode of the Ask Operator series. In this series, we want to explain the behind the scenes of how sports betting operators work. Today, I want to welcome Alan Alger from one of our members, Betway. Hi, Alan. Welcome. How are you? Hi, Sylvia. Yeah, good to be with you. Just to kick off the conversation, can you introduce yourself and what's your current role? So as you say, yeah, I'm Alan Alger and I'm head of corporate communications for Betway. Right. And how did you end up in this position? Tell us more on how you started working in the betting sector. Well, I'm just coming up to the 21st year of working in the betting industry. And it's been uh, obviously an ever evolving industry. I started out as junior trader for a spread betting company, and that was back in 1999. That was in the city of London, and they were usually better known for trading on the financial markets, but this particular company had a sport betting sector, and that was on spread betting and a bit of fixed odds as well. But the spread betting is where I started, so it was uh, quite a tough way to be introduced to how to manage risk and provide prices for our customers. I slowly managed to get into a fixed odds betting role and that was uh, slightly easier and slightly more high profile and I had about another five six years of, of doing a, uh, a fixed odds trading role which led to me becoming a second in command on a football desk of a very well-known operator and uh, they were taking lots of business over Europe so that's quite a high pressure job. At that point, they actually had a vacancy for someone to do PR. And my personal circumstances changed at the time. And the hours that traders do are obviously aligned to whenever sport is on. And it's quite difficult to have a family life around that. So it was a good move for me to move into PR, which obviously we work as hard, but we work normally during business hours. And I managed to have uh, 10, around 10 years on consumer PR, and the consumer PR is really exciting. You're, you're talking about prices, you're talking about bets that have won, you're talking about different aspects of the company and product, and uh, I've enjoyed doing that at Betway for to three or four years, and then moved into their corporate communications role, and now have the the role that I previously had now reporting to me. So it's it's a real contrast. Wow. So it seems that you had definitely a career which is spanning from being a trader into a corporate communication. So quite different from uh, from where you started. Why did you choose this career in sports betting? Why sports betting? Well, I think it was always this ideal I had when when I was younger to say that if you if you had a job that you enjoyed doing and it was in a sector that you enjoyed, then you'd never work a day in your life. And I can honestly say that when over the over the 20 odd years that I've, I've worked in the business, I've never ever woken up in the morning saying that I, I don't want to go to work today. And, and that's quite a blessing if you think about it. And I think that's how I set out. I knew that I knew that that sports betting was was a big thing and it was only going to get bigger uh, with the Internet. I, I can't say I foresaw that in any particular way, but I definitely knew that there were companies recruiting and that must have been why. And I think if you, if you grow up in London, you have certain opportunities that people don't have in, in slightly more rural places in, in England unless unless they 
go through the university system and then, and then come to live in London. Whereas I grew up in London and had it on my doorstep. And I think that there, there were so many opportunities available and I drifted around a few office jobs that I didn't particularly like in industries that I didn't see my career in and always kept an eye on the kind of jobs that would come up in the sports betting or even even just sports journalism or something like that. But I'd always been interested in betting. I'd always been interested in horse racing, certainly interested in football. And when you mix that all together, the, the junior trader role that I managed to get way back in 1999, it just encompassed all of that. And it, it was amazing at the time because when you're younger, you, you have friends that are saying to you, well, you just get paid to watch sport all day. And, you know, you didn't really shatter that illusion at all. It, it was as good as that. And obviously, as you go higher up the ranks, you have more pressure and you certainly have more responsibility. But it's still as enjoyable. And, and that, that is something that I think I've been blessed with. Wow, that's amazing. When you can find a job that meets your passions, then it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's indeed a real blessing. You mentioned actually that your friends were telling you that you were very lucky to watch sport all day and that you were actually getting paid to do that. But what exactly does a trader do despite just watching sport all day? <laughs> Is there, what are exactly the tasks of a trader? The really, the really interesting thing about the first job that I had, I know I mentioned the internet earlier and said that there were probably opportunities opening up because of the internet. I mean, nobody could have really foresaw that at the time, but the company that I joined, they, they were one of the first movers in, in online betting. But they did actually have a, a traditional, as I say, spread betting, financial and sports department. And it was probably one of the best places to spend your first two years in because you had to actually answer the phone to the customers. You had to make the price while you were on the phone with the customer. And you had to take their bet over the phone, interact with them, manage the risk, and then write that down, enter it into a computer. It all sounds, you know, pretty much like it was it was sort of the dark ages, but it was only it was only just over 20 years ago. And you had to do nearly every facet of the job right there, right now. And obviously, yeah, we had a big bank of television screens and all the latest football would be on, all the latest horse racing, golf, tennis, cricket, whichever time of year it was. And that was great because that was right in front of you and you were obviously taking calls and bets that were all to do with what was happening in front of you. So it was it was every day was different. Every day was exciting. Every day you were either cheering on the company position against the bets that you'd taken. But I think, again, it's it's real good fortune that my first two years were in a job where you had to do absolutely everything. And the, the kind of company it was, you were thrown in at the deep end. And if, if you didn't succeed, you were quickly you were quick, quickly discarded. And that pressure, I think, sort of made a few people and uh, a lot of people that were actually there in my junior intake at that time, at that particular company, have gone on to do really well in the, in, in the whole in industry sector. So there must be something to say for, for that kind of grounding. When, when I moved into fixed odds and the slightly easier side of trading, By then, the internet was obviously huge, and we were only taking bets over the internet for the company that I worked for. And the bets were coming in. You could see your position move. You could see where you had to move prices. Another difficult thing about that was that back then, you didn't actually have any automated system to give you the price. So uh, a lot of my early years in the fixed odds trading, I'd be watching a football match and having to move the price as things happened on the pitch. 
and that that is a real skill that I don't think we'll ever know how how right or wrong I got it because back then there were so many people betting on the internet that you you would you would quite obviously make money for your business as long as you stuck to the, the mathematical guidelines. But there are obviously people now that, that individually and, and and as part of syndicates use that kind of knowledge in able to in being able to price up games in play that uh, that are now making good money. I don't think I was that good, but I was certainly good enough to to hold my own in in making those prices. And again, that pressure meant that you either you, you sink or swim. And and again, that was a real benefit to me back then. Wow. So it seems that earlier on there was a lot of pressure, and you needed to develop quickly a whole new set of skills to be able to cope with the life changes. But still, you didn't have the technology back then. How's the role of a trader developed throughout the uh, years thanks to technology? Is it easier now? Can anybody become a trader in, in these days? I think that most businesses in, in the gambling industry need a type of trader that, that has um, a key quality. I mean, there, there are lots of sub-qualities that you definitely need and, and you certainly would be discarded without. But the, the one big thing that you need is, is the, the actual patience to do things exactly the way that your company wants you to do it. Now, when I when I was younger and worked in a, a few companies as internet betting was just taking off, you were pretty much left to your own devices to, to work out how much you were making on a market and, and how you should trade it. There wasn't much guidance in that sense. But now there has to be a, a hell of a lot of discipline from traders who might have an opinion, but they should actually be betting to the figures in the book. And that's a, that's a real difference. You won't get any traders walking through the doors of, of, of businesses these days, especially the big businesses like Betway, and saying, well, I'm, I know my stuff on horse racing, so let me take lots of views on horse racing or take lots of views on football matches. It's very much that you, you'll trade competitive prices for your business but you won't be congratulated for knowing which horse is going to win a race or, or thinking a certain horse is going to win a certain race and taking a view against it. It's very much that you have to you have to have the discipline to trust the maths. I wasn't too disciplined back when I had that role, but then saying that it wasn't really needed back then. You were you were more just tasked with making money for your business, and if you're able to do that, you'd manage to get away with it. Obviously, all the other sub qualities trust. Definitely trust, and again, hard work as well. As I as I've said, that the, the hours are quite tough. Uh, I know we've also said that you're watching sport all day, but that could literally be all day. And uh, some of the Saturday shifts I used to do back then, you'd be in the office at eight in the morning, and you wouldn't be leaving till about midnight when the final Spanish football game finished. I also think, I mean, I have a bit of a joke with the traders at Betway now, just saying that. Back when it wasn't automated, you obviously had to have more of a knowledge of prices and things like that. But then the guys these days are actually asked to trade more games. So because it's automated for you, you might be doing four or five games on the trot. And that, that obviously is quite taxing. Yeah, and so other, it seems that multitasking is uh, must be one of those skills that you need to develop while you're yeah, doing... Discipline, trust, multitasking. Also, the, the, the I think knowing your customer as well i mean it's, it's that's very important on the responsible side of, of of the way betway operate 
and and that's that's definitely one of our key pillars of, of the business is that you, you need to be responsible and being responsible is to know each customer so when you're seeing these bets come through you're, you're looking at it from a number of different facets of the business and one of them is, is obviously the responsibility side you're looking at the the liability that the the company's taking on from the bet and you're also trying to judge the customer in terms of what they might do next so there's always that battle and i think that's obviously what customers like they like the battle against the bookmaker right so you mentioned actually a responsible operator and it seems that a responsible operator starts from their traders what is the sports betting integrity for you and how important it's when you're a trader Yeah, I think it, it's really important when you're a trader that you are, well, first of all, you're, I mentioned trust earlier, and obviously you need to trust the people that are taking bets for you and setting prices and, and compiling, but it's also the trust that the trader has in the business to do the right thing, and we certainly do that at Betway, so they know that there's a number of different outlets for them if they spot anything on any particular market, sport, or game, or, or fixture that they can actually flag that and they know exactly the right route to be able to do that. I would say that has definitely evolved for the better. And certainly back, and again, I'm going to cast my mind back 10, 15 years ago and say that when I was working at other businesses earlier on in my career, there wasn't that direct route where to blow the whistle and say, I don't think this looks particularly right. All you would really do back then, which you would just change the market to make sure that your company wasn't going to get hit by something that didn't look particularly right. Now we have so many good outlets, including yourselves, to be able to say, right, this is this is the path that we follow if we see something that we think deserves a bit of extra notice or certainly investigation. And the traders having the trust in that process is a huge thing. Yeah, so it seems that improvements have happened over the years, thanks also to technology, And, and also the, the willing to deliver a better product to through customers. Yeah, absolutely. Because one of the key things about the integrity of sport is that let's take betting aside, you know, let's, let's you know, remove the betting aspect. If you're a fan that, that pays money to watch sport or you enjoy watching sport on TV, you want to know that what you're seeing is a true contest. And then if you're betting on sport, you want to know that, that the odds haven't been stacked against you other than that battle against the bookmaker. And that element of trust actually goes into the sport as well. You need to know that you're trusting exactly what you're seeing. As a business, obviously, we, we set prices on the basis that, that all the events, markets and sports and fixtures are straight that we're actually taking bets on. We want that for the customers because if it wasn't, They would, obviously, uh, they would obviously slip away. And in the same respect, the sports want that as well. If people start saying that, that you know, if uh, certain fixtures or matches in a certain sport are being fixed, then they'll lose their fans as well. So I think that triangle of trust is, is it definitely has to be there. Absolutely. Looking back at your career as a trader, is there any funny moments or episodes that happened to you that you would like to share with us? I think one of the interesting aspects of the, the earlier role that I had was, again, as I say, we didn't have automated systems to tell us what, what prices were in certain situations. Uh, we didn't have a big database like they have now. So I remember uh, trading, I think it was a Monday night, and I, I was 
the only person in the office trading football. I mean, now that would be unthinkable. You'd have about three or four people doing four or five games each from all across the world. But there was a an FA Cup match. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur were playing at home against Manchester City in the FA Cup. And it was really interesting because Tottenham were favourites for the game. This is this is long before Manchester City had lots of money. Tottenham were favourites for the game and they, they, they'd been playing particularly well. And they went 3-0 up at half-time of this game. And as the players were going off the pitch at half-time, a Manchester City player was actually sent off. Uh, you may have heard of him, Joey Barton. He still, still gets in trouble to this day. But that was one of his earlier indiscretions. And he got sent off. So to bear in mind, Manchester City are coming back on the pitch to kick off the second half. They're 3-0 down and they only have 10 men. Now, there was no computer system in the world or database in the world that was going to tell you exactly what price they should be to come back and win that game. And I remember putting in what we sort of thought was about a maximum price back then of a thousand to one. And even then thinking, well, there's not many customers out there that are going to back a team to come back and score four goals in a second half with only 10 men against the side that's already beaten them 3-0 in the first half. And amazingly, we saw lots of money for it. And, and I couldn't believe why we'd seen so much money. And this particular company, we took lots of bets from Europe. And the weirdest thing is that, that the European TV stations had all lost their feed at the point the player had got sent off. They'd gone back to their studios or gone to advert breaks. So lots of people around Europe didn't realise that Manchester City still uh, were down to 10 men for that second half. Now, they still had a big task, even if it was with 11 men. But these people were seeing the odds of 1,000 to 1 thinking, well, you know what? You know, I'm just going to chance my arm that 11 against 11, they're going to come back and... Uh, and win this game. So I couldn't believe how many people were backing it, you know, five euros here, 10 euros here. And I was cutting the price, cutting the price. And I think it got down to about 100 to one before the second half kicked off. And amazingly, amazingly, Manchester, Manchester City came back and scored a fourth goal about five minutes before the end of the game. And that, that resulted in a huge loss for the business. And I remember that there was a certain threshold of losses where you had to send an email to certain directors in the business to say you'd had a, a particular disaster. And that's one of the disasters I had. And I still maintain to this day that 1,000 to 1 was probably about the right price. But it just so happened that so many people around Europe didn't realise and thought they were getting a good bet. And they ended up with a terrific bet. So against all the odds, that would happen. <laughs> But I guess Absolutely. that's still um, that's the beauty of the game, and that's why people have fun watching watching their favorite favorite sports and and having a, a casual bet from time to time. That's, that's right, and it, it suits it suits all kinds of people because you can back outsiders, you can back unusual things to happen. You can be a favorite backer that always sticks with a favorite and back short prices. There's so much for everyone. Right. Well, I want, uh, really wanted to thank you, Alan, for uh, this conversation and for shedding some light on the role of, um, of a trader and what they do. This certainly has been very interesting. Is there any just last word that you would like to leave to our listeners? Yeah, I think in, in my corporate communications role, I think that it, it is important that the integrity of all sport is upheld and the cases that we see where uh, those kind of rules are breached, they're definitely rare. The, the only thing that will make you say 
that you've seen a lot of them is that they do get reported every time they happen. And it's a bit like when, because plane crashes are so rare, you will obviously see them always reported. And I think it just means that people are doing their job properly when you see those kind of headlines. It doesn't mean that it's rife that lots of people are fixing matches or sports or things like that. I think what it's actually telling you is that the system does work and every bookmaker wants to be on the side of blowing the whistle against these people. They don't want to be on the side of taking the customer's money on events that aren't particularly played out to be true. And that trust has to be there. And thankfully, the vast, vast, vast majority of bets and markets and events and fixtures are straight. And that's a good thing. Exactly. Well, thanks a lot, Alan, again. And thanks a lot to our uh, listeners. I would like to remind that you can find more information about Ask the Operator campaign on our website, abia.bet, and also on our social media on Twitter and LinkedIn. And stay tuned for more episodes to come. Thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks a lot, Alan. Bye-bye. Thank you.